Welcome to the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and I have a very special guest today, but before I get to that, I want to give a special shout out to all the fans listening stateside and worldwide, checking out all of the social media channels, listening in on any platform or whatever it is you listen to, and of course, supporting the Vault Classic Music Reviews wherever you go. Appreciate all the support, guys. We've had an outstanding start to the summer so far, and there's so much more to come, including some bonus episodes of our summer series, which we will have in a few weeks coming up. So thank you all once again for all the support that you give the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast. And today, we have a very special guest here in the Vault. Periodically, we have special guest reviewers to come in and come and give their perspective on the classics as we chop it up always. And today, I have a very special guest. None other than 12 Cow of the 12 Cow Podcast. Of course, you can catch Kyle on the 12 Cow Podcast on any platform where you find podcasts. Kyle and I have grown a very good rapport. I've been a guest on his show. Then we're going to chop it up over this review. We sat down and talked it up on our upcoming review, and here's how it went. And joining us here in the vault for the very first time, he's a friend of the show. Nah, I'm lying. Actually, he's more like fam of the show. And any of you who follow me on social media know him well and know his show well, because hopefully you're following him and also listening to him as well. He does some dope, dope content. And of course, we like to welcome him. I was on his show last year. Um, I've always listened to his shows. He always gives me great feedback, shouts me out on Twitter. So I'd like to welcome into the vault for this next review that we're doing right here. Of course, one of the most interesting men in podcasting. As you listened to some of his episodes not too long ago by his new nickname, the Miak Mac, <laughs> the pride of South Carolina State in Orangeburg, South Carolina, none other than 12 Cow from the 12 Cow Podcast. Cow, what's good, homie? What up? Yeah. What up? What up, B. Cox, man? What's going on, man? Thanks for having me on, man. I, I, pre- I, I need to record that intro and send it to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> what's good, brother? Hey, look, no matter what I say or what I do, I will never hype you up as much as she will. So, you know, <laughs> if you're listening, Miss 12 Kyle, hey, listen, that's it, you got it. <laughs> no doubt. No yeah. doubt, man. Thanks again for having me on, man. I'm looking yeah. forward to this, man. Yeah, man, definitely. We love having Kyle on. Love his perspectives. Um, Kyle, for those of you who don't know on his uh, podcast, the 12 Kyle podcast, you know, you can get in it wherever you get podcasts and you can listen to him. He's been doing it for a while. He does a lot of hip hop related topics. Um, Kyle is a connoisseur of music as well. Um, we did a review last year of commons like water for chocolate for its 20th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And it was such a dope one that I was like, yo, I don't think I need to record one. You know, we had a very (laughs) in-depth conversation. So um, Kyle, I respect, but that's not just hip hop that Kyle does. He does R and B albums as well. And it's not just music because Kyle has some very interesting takes and tales and very interesting discussion topics, everything from situationships to breakups, to ghosting, to things about his times at South Carolina State. Well, some of my favorite episodes of him are about, oh, a few of them were about game day, how it was in South Carolina State. Kyle, you know, you played for the the mighty Bulldogs of South Carolina yes, State sir. in yes, the MIAC. 
you know, did very well there. Uh, MEAC champ, black college national champion, all mm-hmm. that, you know, times about the things in the dorms, things that I related to well, being a graduate of the illustrious Morgan State University mm-hmm. myself. Shout out, to, shout out to Morgan State. Indeed. So definitely make sure y'all go check that out. Now, I don't agree with everything that Kyle has said. <laughs> I agree with about 98% of the things that he says. The one thing that I think I have a point of contention that Kyle and I have is the fact that he, for some reason, thinks in that logic upstairs in his brain, that D'Angelo's brown sugar is better than voodoo. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how. And if any of y'all out there listening on the social media can reason with me that you get Kyle's logic, I'd love to hear it. Y'all know where to find us. So <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. But today, Kyle, we got you on for another review. Of course, you know, our hat motto here on the vault is hashtag open the vault hashtag nothing but the classics. And we're going back and we have a recurring theme today because one of the years we're covering is 1996. And this mm-hmm. time period in particular was a very loaded time period because of the times and the albums that came out. So we're going to go back to July 2nd, 1996. And we're going to take a look back at a group now that this is their third time on the vault that we're covering them and the second time this year. Of course, I'm talking about none other than De La Soul and their fourth studio album, Stakes is High. On, of course the much vilified now Tommy Boy Records <laughs> and Warner Brothers. And a little bit more on De La's Stakes is High, runtime of 68 minutes and 19 seconds. The producers were De La themselves, and we'll get a little bit more into that later in regards to the producers. Spearhead X, Skef Anselm, OG, and last but definitely not least, one of the early contributions of a James DeWitt Yancey, also known as JD, mm-hmm. also known as Jay Dilla, Simply, sometimes just known as Dilla, the late, great Jay Dilla. So here we are, Kyle. Three singles off of Stakes is High, the title track, released on June 17th, 1996. It's So Easy, Hot, released on uh, later on in 1996, and then four more, which was actually featuring Jeanne, which was on track number 12 on this one as well. So this album, Kyle, we're going to sort of just get into it. And we talked a little bit about the production, and I wanted to go into a little bit of the background of why a familiar name isn't on this track list. It's Prince Paul. Now, mm-hmm. we all know Prince Paul was the architect of the production of much of their first three albums, Three Feet High and Rising in 1989, De La Soul is Dead, which came out in 1991, and then Balloon Mind State, which came out in 1993. They decided not to go with Prince Paul with production on this album, and I'll give a few anecdotes about that a little bit later on. This actually came out the same day as the album that we did last week, which was mm-hmm. Nas, It's What's Written. Mm-hmm. Um, and a week after Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt. And mm-hmm. really in a time period where I would say starting from the beginning of June to like the middle of July, where it was just straight heat, every single album released Tuesday coming out. You really had to pick and choose unless you were, you had deep pockets to go out there and grab every single album at the record store when the albums came out, you know? So, so you 96, man, at this point in time, this is a summer in 96. I want to go back and talk to you, man, about your recollections of that time when this album came out and sort of like the scene at that time, as you were taking it as a hip hop fan. Now you at a particular time now where you were moving into another you know, section of your life, you were starting to transition to move on from one section mm-hmm. to the next, man. But give us an idea, man, of what Kyle was doing when this album came out, um, what the scene was like to you, and then what you thought about this album with Daylight. At this point, they had been four albums in, and they were starting to, I guess, like make their foothold, and they were veterans at this point. Oh, no doubt, no doubt, man. I, I think you touched on a lot 
for me, you're right. At that time, July of 1996, I was actually just about to graduate from South Carolina State University. Mm. I would graduate in that uh, that upcoming December of 1996. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a senior getting ready for the, the final lap, if you will. Yeah. And um, that year, man, was incredible. I mean, if for those of you who've been listening to this podcast, you've seen the albums that they've reviewed that are hitting that 25-year uh, spot. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, it, it's just been incredible. When you think about what was out at the time, I mean, All Eyes on Me from Tupac was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fugees, The Score was out. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Reasonable Doubt came out the week prior to uh, it was written, came out the same day that this album came out. Yeah. Later on that summer, AT Aliens would drop. I mean, Ooh. like, it was album after album. So the the level of competition was high. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, Daylight didn't disappoint. It was a situation where in hip-hop at that particular time, not only did you have those albums coming out, but, you know, we were in the midst of what was called the East coast, West coast beef, if you will, mm. uh, the beef between Tupac and Biggie. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think it was that big and I have my own personal <laughs> issues with, yeah. you know, how that was perpetuated, but I'll leave that for another podcast. Oh yeah. We were in the middle of all of that. And you had a situation in hip hop where to be honest, B man, money was really getting involved. You know, yeah. if, if you followed hip hop huh. from its inception, like I did, um, and, and, and for those of you listening, I'm a little bit older than B, just a little, <laughs> just a little just bit, a, not too much yeah, older, but just a little bit. He was, he was in like third grade when this album came out. Uh, come on, man. But, I was getting um, ready to go to high school, man. When you was getting ready to graduate from <laughs> okay, college, okay, I was getting okay. ready to go to high school. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it, it was, so it, it was different, you know, and up until that time, up until like the mid nineties, there wasn't really a lot of money involved in, in rap. And then what became obviously hip hop, but it wasn't a lot of money involved. In, and when money started to come around and come into the to the genre and into the culture, quite frankly, things changed. Mm. Right. And I can't necessarily say that all of the th- things that changed were for the better, but things changed. And so in the middle of all of that, you have this rap group who, in my personal opinion, their first two albums are certified classics. Yeah. And then a third album that was a very, very good album. Mm. Um, it was hard to, <laughs> you know, it was hard to stay on par with those first two albums. But yeah. and, and then they dropped this fourth album in the midst of all of this that's going on. And, you know, there was a little bit of chaos in hip hop at the time. And De La Soul, they weren't on the, the anybody's side as far as East Coast and West Coast. De La had somewhat of a beef, if you will, with the direction where rap was going. And so they had their own stake in it as well. And, you know, thus the title stakes is high. Yeah. But um, my memories of this album, I didn't get it the first week it came out because like you said, B, I was, <laughs> I was a broke college broke student. College student. And it came out the same day that it was written came out. So I bought, it was written, Yeah. but I got, I got stakes is high two weeks after it came out. Yeah. I, I was doing whatever I could to, you know, scratch up a few coins so I could get, yeah, get enough money to buy I that. I understand the struggle, brother. I was there, man. Yeah. It was, you know, $10, man. It'll go a long <laughs> way for a college kid. Yeah. So, so, but yeah, Daylight was in the middle of it, man. And I just remember, and I know we'll talk about it, but I just remember the you know, first couple of listens, listening to it, man. And I was just blown away. Yeah. And I was just like really, really surprised at where they were and, they were one of the few groups at that particular time in hip hop 
And not only that, but they were getting better and better with each album. Yeah. And, you know, the more and more I listen to it, the more and more I love this album. Yeah. You know, it's the title is appropriate. Stakes mm-hmm. is high. And the title track, you can tell by the words when you hear Paz and you hear Dove talking. You hear the message of how high the stakes were for them. And we talked about Prince Paul not being on this album. An article with OK Player, they interviewed all three of them, Maceo, Dove, and Posnus. And they talked to them, and they said as far as, like, when this album was coming out, what Pos was saying was, you know, Balloon Mind State, when it came out, was an album that a lot of people liked, but as far as sales were, wasn't really doing that well. And mm-hmm. they had Rush Management and Russell Simmons and Lior Cohen, who were, of course, of Def Jam, pretty much coming to them and telling them as management, like, look, you know, y'all got to tighten your belts, man. You're going to have to get out there and get this done while you guys are out there on the road. They're sitting there, they're performing and uh, and touring, trying to make a little bit of coin, obviously, because nobody was making money off of record sales. At least mm-hmm. artists weren't. And, you know, Wu-Tang sort of came out into the mix. You had Biggie sort of emerge. You had the West Coast was still sort of on that yes. grass from that, like, that 92, 93, 94, Death Row Rise, the Bay Rise. And then out of nowhere, you have these kids from Atlanta called Outcast sort of really grew, start to rise and take the South into another direction that people hadn't seen Southern rappers ever do before. So the game definitely was moving in a bit of a different direction. What pretty much what Dove was saying at that time in this same article was they were like sort of looking at each other like, yo, man, this this could be it for us. Like, if we don't pull something together, this could pretty much be it. And our listeners don't bite on it. This could be it. Meaning that this is done. It's over finito. And when it came to Prince Paul, when they were trying to get things going for the album, Paul would bring them things and they were just like, yo, this is a little bit too, mm, it's too zany. It's still a little bit too funny. And we're not really catching on to what it is you're doing. And after a while, he was just like, all right, look, you know, he was doing what he was doing at that time with the Gravediggers. And he said, you know what? Y'all go ahead and take the lead on this, man. I got it. I'm going to step back because y'all need to go ahead and take the direction of this because this is an important album for y'all. And you can sort of hear in the tone of this. I mean, each one of their albums, like you mentioned, they get better with each album, but then I think every one of their albums has a significant message in it. And Three Feet High Rising, they're on the scene. They get painted sort of like, you know, this bohemian flower, you know, flower child, <laughs> hippie sort of group. They got pissed with that because the mainly one with Arsenio, but then also about the public perception of them. They came back and fired about that. De La Soul is dead. I did a review on that. Kyle and Kleck did an excellent review on that earlier this year. Really captured the essence of what that album was. Incredible album. Balloon Mind State, as you mentioned, a really, really good album. But didn't wasn't really catching on with the, even De La fans. Even the hardcore ones really, I think, didn't grab onto that like the way they grabbed onto De La Soul is dead and three feet high. And by the time this came around, I really felt as though they had had, you know what, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of everything. You even heard the words that Dove said and stakes is high. I'm sick of bitches shaking asses. You know, like <laughs> that type of mentality, the way that Cash was moving into hip hop, you could really hear it in their voice. They were really tired of the way the rap was going and they were tired at the archetypes that were showing up in hip hop. You hear that a lot in a lot of the sounds that you songs that you hear. They reference a lot of different rappers in here. We talked about Tupac. They took shots mm-hmm. at Biggie in this. They mm-hmm. took shots at Naughty <laughs> by Nature in this. <laughs> they took shots at a lot of the different, we talked about this and it was written, they took shots at people that really portrayed mafioso rap and mob culture in their music. That that was on It's So Easy. You hear with Dove saying things like that. So 
you could really tell that they were exasperated by what was going on. They felt like the hip hop that they knew that they grew up in, that they were becoming legends in, were sort of going into a different direction. And this was a sort of the last gas to try to, hey, y'all don't go anywhere just yet. We're still here, you know. But at that point, had the ship already sailed? Yeah, you could say that. And it was starting to sail off into a different direction, but they were still fighting for it at that time. But where I was, as Kyle mentioned, I am a little bit younger than him, um, just a little bit. I was heading into the summer, heading into my ninth grade year. And I didn't get this album when it came out either. Y'all, I told y'all when July 2nd came around, I grabbed two albums and reasonable doubt. And it was written with my grass cutting money. And I bought one on tape and one on CD because I didn't have enough to get them both on CD. <laughs> so, but my boy, my boy, uh, Raheem, his brother was a big De La Soul fan. And he went out and got this. So what did I do? I told Raheem, gave him five dollars, gave him a blank tape, said, "Yo, man, ask your brother. Let me dub this. You know, here's five dollars. Mm-hmm. This is all I can muster up right now. If I can give you more later, I will." Now let the record state that I never gave Raheem his five, another five dollars, <laughs> but he gave me my De La Soul tape though. He gave me a tape. I listened to it, and the one thing that I would have to say is that I think I studied this a little bit deeper because at the point when I was listening to this. I was into buying my own music, you know, I was mm-hmm. buying my own rap albums. And when I saw the stakes is high, the, the video with them being on Maury, the basketball court tribe called quest in the video, Jerry Stackhouse in the video. It really kind of just grabbed me because I was blown away by the song itself. Then you hear the business with common that grabbed me in because the song so simple as that, that baseline is really what kept me roped in, but listening to other tracks on the album, I really felt captivated by it and listening like, yo, was this the same De La Soul that I was listening to when I was like eight, nine years old? Nah, they were the same guys, same skill mm-hmm. level. They were talking about the, the the flow hadn't really changed that much, but the things that they were talking about and the topics they were talking about in regards to the music industry, I knew a lot. I, I felt it a lot more because I saw the change happen on television and on the airwaves. I saw hip hop going into a different direction, but I was blown away by it. And then I think when I got into college, um, I really, really held on to this album. As a matter of fact, track number two on here, Super MCs, became Mm. the intro music to the radio show that I had on Morgan Student Radio Station. You know, (laughs) I had a hip hop show on there. You know, this that was the show, because at that point I was starting to get sick of music and the way the direction of music was going. And by the time we got into 04 and 05, well, you already know. You know, Mm -hmm. you already know. (laughs) But honestly, even production wise, I think I was present pleasantly surprised by what the work they were able to do, because when you have one producer working with you and mostly producing all of your music, you get used to that sound. But they needed to take things in another another direction because they saw like, yo, we got to pull this out. We got to pull a rabbit out of the hat. If not, this is going to be it. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And done. So. There we are, man. Stakes is high. 17 tracks on here, uh, 68 minutes. You know, Daylight definitely has some long run times in their catalogs, you know, and you got to be prepared to listen through to them, man. But they're not hard listens. So now we're getting to the highlights and to the track list, Kyle. So we always like to run down a few of our highlights. Obviously, if you have any low lights, put those down. So run them down for me, man. What are your highlights and low lights if you have any? Um, man, just like you guys talk about each week and and I don't want to sound like jail, but it's really not, (laughs) it's really not a lot of lowlights on this album. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, for me, super MCs, I mean, is a great way to kick it off. I mean, actually the intro is dope, but then, you know, because the intro kind of grabbed me because you hear them, there's these conversations about 
you know, what these fans or these random people thought about uh, hearing Boogie Down Productions for the first time. Yeah. And it's them paying homage to Boogie. And then when you think about it, Boogie Down Productions, they really aren't that much older than De, De La Soul. Mm-mm. And so even though they're as revered, but they're also their contemporaries, I thought that was very special for them to do. But everything from Super MCs to uh, the business, the internet, of course, the, the, the title track and the It's So Easy, uh, all of those are highlights for me, man. It, it's even going back, and I still go back and listen to this album quite often. Yeah. Uh, especially, I, I'll say De La, well, maybe, I don't I don't listen to Balloon Mind State as much, but um, it, particularly like when me and Eclectic did the review for um, for the other album a couple of, week, couple of months ago or so. I just found myself listening to those first two albums and then this album. Yeah. Um, just over and over and over again, just remembering and just realizing how much I love those albums. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's top to bottom. I think it's a, an incredible album and it's aged very well, at least for me. Yeah. Um, the only low light I could think of, and it's really not a low light, but I remember the first two or three times that I heard dog eat dog. Oh yeah. The little dog sound in the background yeah. was annoying as hell to me. And I was like, because <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you know, B you, yeah. you're a, yeah, of when you're a fan of daylight, you're going to hear anything, any and everything any they and had. Everything. I mean, skits galore on, you know, the first couple of albums. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, the, the dog sound kind of got on my nerves. I, it, it grew on me after a while. But that was probably my only low light on the album, mm-hmm. um, you know, just that dog sound. But yeah. to your point about Prince Paul, I do remember I was about halfway through the album, through my first list. And I do remember that. And I was as I was listening, I was going through the liner notes and I was like, damn, yeah, where's Prince Paul? He like, there. It, it, yeah. it, 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 And I was jamming to the album and I realized that he wasn't on it because keep in mind, folks, there was no Internet. Yeah. So <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. he had no way of knowing. Yeah. Right. So there was no there was no promotional tour or anything or or I don't even remember them doing media to let us know that Prince Paul wasn't going to be on the album and I think we like I said I was halfway through it before I realized that he wasn't on it mm-hmm. and like you said earlier the more that I listened to it I was like okay they don't really need him yeah, <laughs> not, right. not on this one mm-hmm. and which is a far cry from what it would have been if someone had, would have told you a month before this album dropped. Oh yeah, Daylight's coming out next month, but um Prince Paul ain't going to be on it. Yeah. You know, you'd you'd be like, "Man, get out of here. I'm not listening to that." Exactly. So so yeah, but those 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 are my memories of that album. Yeah, man. Um production-wise, what did you think about it? Cuz you know, they handled the majority of the production on this. I mean, mm-hmm. they produced out of the 17 tracks, I think they produced or had a hand in producing about all but maybe four of these tracks. Or I would you, right. well, yeah, about four of these tracks. So what did you think about the production? I love the production, man. I mean, it, it the the great thing about the production on this album is that the production doesn't override what they're talking about. Like mm. you don't, you're tuning in for the production, but you're more concerned with what it is that they're saying. And it doesn't override them. It doesn't show them up as MCs. Because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you can, you wouldn't want to have De La Soul rapping on a Timbaland beat. You oh, know what no. I'm saying? Because Not at all. his production will just overshadow him overshadow them excuse me but I, I love the production man from top to bottom and, and I, that was one of the things that really was more impressive to me the more that I listened to it, it was like damn they did this themselves, themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean because yeah. like at that particular time 
again, this is their fourth album. You don't go and people trust people listening, trust and believe what they had with Prince Paul was working. (laughs) So it was, it wasn't broken. It It wasn't wasn't broken. broken. (laughs) So, you know, to B's point, you know, it's rare for you to have three solid albums, two classics, and then Mm -hmm. a very solid third album with the producer and everything is working fine. And you're like, Oh, you know, we're going to switch it up. We don't need you. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't happen. Um, It doesn't happen a lot in hip hop and it definitely doesn't happen with a a group as close knit as Daylight. But um, I thought their production was incredible, man. It's, it's one of the main features of this album. Again, it's very solid, very easy to listen to. You can listen to the instrumentals. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then they have songs, I think like, the business, which is a signature De La sound, if you will. Yes. So I love the production, man. It is. It's great. And I can't think of another group that did something like this other than De La and to a sense, even Outkast. Because yeah, as yeah, Outkast yeah, got into did. their Good their point. career, they even started from ATL and started taking more of the production load when Dre and Big Boy started to learn the music, incorporating Mr. DJ. Organized Noise mm-hmm. was still producing for them heavy all the way up until Equemni. And then right. after that, on the last on what well, I wouldn't say the last album, but on Speaker Box and Love Below, they weren't even involved at all. You know, right. so I mean, it's it's not very rare that if you have a producer artist or producer group relationship that you have one step away and then it totally works because I've seen it happen before and it hasn't worked before. My highlights. Well, I mean, like you said, there's not many lowlights on here at all. If there are lowlights, there are moments maybe in tracks, but not necessarily mm-hmm. tracks themselves. Um, as I mentioned, Super MCs, that was my theme song. And going into the from my radio show, um, the business, like mm. <laughs> there are certain <laughs> instrumentals that when I think and hear, I think 90s hip hop. Like yes. there's probably like a list of maybe I would say between 30 to 40 hip hop instrumentals that I listen to that are like, OK, this is a signature 90s hip hop instrumental. When I think this, I think 90s hip hop. This, the business, that instrumental, I remember it because of the song and because it had Common on it. And I remember being a big fan of Common from listening to Resurrection and, you know, knowing his work a little bit more. But then this was also a song that was a Common when they had the freestyle uh, folks that used to come on the radio mm-hmm. on my up here in 93.9. This was a mm-hmm. regular staple for freestyle tracks that they would let people spit on. So that grabbed mm-hmm. me being into music and also wanting to rhyme and produce myself. I got to give it to you, man, with Den in it. I mean, it's, it's for, when you read it, it's just like, what is that? Is that? And then like, just listen to the song. It, to me, gives such a smooth vibe. You know, another 90s staple, the kind of sound that you hear. I mean, it gives such a smooth, smooth vibe to it. That produced by Spearhead X. Um, Long Island Degrees, I think, is a very, very underrated track. If you were yes. to talk to anybody who listens to that, um, very prolific emceeing on this. Um, the beat is just great. I think this is even the track afterwards when the guy talks about, you got the guy afterwards when he asks him, I don't like rap music. Nope, I don't. Why? This, it's not music. It's just niggers talking. That's it. That's the only thing it is. <laughs> just, yes. That gave me a good laugh. Yeah. Um, it's so we oh better listen I think is another one is underrated mm-hmm. cl- tracks as well because this is a track a story about ladies meeting some ladies situations and this is where I think where Dove and Paz are sort of in their bag man you know these type of tracks you heard a lot of this stuff especially the storytelling aspect you heard a lot of that one day La Soul is dead 
It's So Easy is the only Dove solo track on here, but it's probably one of my two or three favorite tracks on here, man. Yes. Uh, that and the video was very inventive. With them being in high school, that really brought me back to those type of days. You know, being in the cafeteria, the craziness that would happen in the cafeteria, that brings me back to one of your episodes about <laughs> yes. your lunch table crew. Shout out to the yes, lunch tables yes. crews. Four more with Sean A., this just reminds me, man, like we want to talk about 90s staples of like the, you know, relics of the 90s that we saw and would like to come back or would like to see more of that again. Sean A was one of those, man. They would mm-hmm. be like they were a group that, you know, were they spectacular? But no, when they did things, they did things and all their stuff was tight. And then when they yep. featured on songs, they were wonderful. Fit the, the bill perfectly on this. Um, but that run, when we started getting to the last like five tracks of the album, you hearing most deaf for the very first time on big brother beats and you hearing the mighty most deaf. One of the first times you've heard him on a record and people had to be sort of listening to this and be like, yo, who is this dude? You know, the majority (laughs) of us who weren't in New York and weren't into the underground scene, didn't know who most deaf was, had to be impressed. But going into songs like Down Syndrome and Pony Ride, those two beats in particular, and then the, the subject matter of talking about especially with Pony Ride with featured Truthy Nola, who had a standout verse on this to me for a guest spot. Mm-hmm. Um, stakes is high. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Stakes is high. Stakes is high. Mm. The first time that I heard this beat, I think like when I listened to it, I stopped it and then rewound all the way back to the beginning again. Mm. I don't even think I got through the when they got to the chorus where the stakes is high. You know the stakes is <laughs> I turned back. Because when I listened to it, I was just like, are those horns? Like what is what is that? Where's that vocal sample coming from? The brilliance in this beat and stakes mm-hmm. is high. This is another one on my quintessential 90s hip hop instrumentals. It's actually probably in the top 10. When I think about right. 90s rap. This instrumental pops up into my mind. The brilliance of Jay Dilla. Again, he was only 22 when he made this, man. 22 years old. When you think about a guy like that to be that young, to be making a track for a group like De La Soul, and then making a song, which is definitely one of their signature songs now. Mm -hmm. You talk to any De La Soul fan, yeah, we talk about me, myself, and I, and Buddy, and, you know, Skates Rolling Skating Jam was called Saturday, and anything else. You talk about Stakes as High is right up there. And the subject matter and stakes is high. You could that's where you really can sort of tell, man, that they were angry. They were sick mm-hmm. of everything and how the direction of hip hop was going. And the lyrics sort of tell you that. You know, beyond, you know, the whole thing about love, love ain't here to make the way to make it anymore. You talk about issues like race. A meteor gets more respect than my people. You know, I mean, things that 
um, when listening to this track and this album turned 20 in 96, that summer of 2016, when we talk about how in race relations in this country was a really, mm. really tough summer. That was the summer Alton Sterling got killed. Philando Castile got killed. This came on the radio the few times I've listened to the radio that, that year. And I was reminded, man, how the title was appropriate because of the times then and the times back in 96 of what they were talking about. But the standout, one of my favorite De La Soul tracks, probably in my top three all time of De La all time. And then I think a great way to, to close the album out was Sunshine, man. The way that they closed that track out, that beat and the sample that they used on that, taking that from the Commodores. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, a, a very, very interesting choice for a sample. And then closing it out with the guy saying, I remember when I heard Three Feet High and Rising, I was like, and then it cuts mm -hmm. off. You know, and cuts off, and then it cuts <laughs> off, leaving that open to interpretation. So yeah, there's not really a, a low light on here. I do have to sort of agree with you on the fact that the dog barking, but I think that the dog <laughs> was a symbolic thing that it hasn't necessarily been noted in anything that I've read before. But I can't help to think that they were talking about Snoop. You know? Okay. You know, I never, I never pulled that, but mm -hmm. I, I can, I can, I can see that. Yeah, and, and I mean the references in here that they talked about. They talked about Biggie and they, you know, and they mm -hmm. did it on a song here. And the reference was, I've got questions about your life. If you're so ready to die on Long Island degrees. Yes. Long Island. I mean, there were a couple of, you know, this album, because of the things that they said, there was a lot of blowback they got from this, you know, um, mm -hmm. Pac, as you know, fired back at them on his album. Biggie sort of had some things sort of to say about them and other people on kick in the door. You know, Naughty by Nature took some uh, offense to this based on some things that they did as well. And, you know, Tretch and Pac were homeboys. So mm -hmm. that beef sort of permeated between two like people who were like, nah, we're not taking this line down. But I feel like this album production wise and lyrically was like them getting everything as is they needed to get off their chest, you know. And I feel like it's sort of like if you're going down, I'm going to make sure I'm taking everybody down with yep. me. That's sort of the, the, the mentality I got out of this, man. Brilliant production, though. Uh, Jay Della aside, I think all the producers on here, Maceo didn't even rap on this album. He appeared on one skit. That was it. But other than that, he mostly worked behind the boards, the productions and the turntables. He was the one doing a lot of the work. And to me, that formula really worked well for them. You know, he didn't necessarily have to work because he was doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to the production. So, Kyle, we get into notable quotables, man. We, it's where we dig into a memorable verse or verses that you like. You know, do you have a notable quotable from this album that you want to point out? Of course I do. All right. <laughs> um, I got to go, man, right back to the, the title track, man. It, the, the first time I heard it, it just it really just jumped at me. And you all are familiar with it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I'm sick. Of, I'm sick of bitches shaking asses. I'm sick of talking about blunts. Sick of Versace glasses, sick of slang, sick of half-ass award shows, sick of name brand clothes, sick of R&B bitches over bullshit tracks, <laughs> cocaine and crack, which brings sickness to blacks. blacks. Sick of swole head rappers with their sicker than raps, clappers and gats, making the whole sick world collapse. The facts are getting sick, even sicker perhaps. Stick a bush to make a bundle to escape this synapse. Man, yeah, <laughs> that stood out to me because like what that was saying was, was the basic message in this album. And in this particular song was that 
you know, hip hop really was at a crossroads. Oh yeah. Everything that he talked about in that verse was happening and it was the dominant thing. Like, you know, it would be one thing if you turned on yo MTV raps or uh rap city and mm-hmm. see, you know, a West coast video, <clears throat> excuse me, with, you know, low riders and gangster rap or whatever the case may be. But their frustration was, was that instead of it being how it was in 91 or 92, where that might not be, you might see that once in a while that became the domineering thing and yes. it became the domineering topic. Yeah. So, Every song was about bitches shaking asses. Yeah. You know, every song was about getting high. Every yeah. song was about sang, slanging crack. And yes. then at this particular time, think about it, 93, 94, you know, Biggie comes through. Mm. And we're riding at that particular time, the shiny suit era. Yeah. It's riding that wave. And so, you know, so now it's about, you know, at one point it was about, you know, guns and gats and all this stuff like that. And now it's, it's flossing. It's about the commercialism. So basically what he's saying in that video, in that song in particular was that, you know, we're at a crossroads. We yeah. can either lose what it is that we have, which is about lyricism, or we can let it go in the other direction and glamorize all this stuff that really ain't got nothing to do with rap. Yeah. And that be the dominant, you know, piece of what it is that, is associated with the culture and Dayla was really concerned about where it was going. And they really was, if you look at it, they were holding up a mirror saying, Hey, this is where we're going. If we don't look at, we don't take a, take a look at ourselves in the mirror. This thing is going to go left. And to be honest, it did, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't have albums like this anymore. You don't, I'm not, let me take it back. I'm not saying we don't have, they're not as readily accessible. to the masses they're not promoted you know to the masses and such and commercialism you know really took over and and 96 95 96 97 you know that was there was a turn in Mm hip-hop and um you know they kind of forewarned us about it and i think this verse really you know expounds you know on that and lets us know where it was going and you know it was it was kind of like a warning sign and unfortunately Mm -hmm. you know it went in the opposite direction Mm -hmm. You know, I just had a revelation about something. I'm going to share it near the end of the pod, though, because okay. while you were talking, I, I'm sitting there taking in all the words and everything that you're saying. I'm going back to this time and I, I'll, I'll relay it, though, man. But great choice for a verse, though. Um, awesome choice for a verse. It's one of the things when you listen to that song, it grabs you immediately mm-hmm. because he comes right out, out with it. The one thing, that first line, I'm sick of bits and shaking asses. Like, <laughs> and, and, you know, for all those of us who listen to Daylight, they didn't really cuss like that. No, you no, know, no. <laughs> that's they why really I said didn't. this album, they came out and was like, yo, we sick of this shit. Like my cousin said, when they was listening to it, we were talking about this the other day. He's like, yo, this is Daylight's album. Like, oh, y'all niggas angry, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> y'all angry as hell, ain't you? A bunch um, of mad rappers. Bunch of mad rappers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, also, when you talked about the whole thing about Versace, this was also the era where hip hop was starting to become, you know, less street and mm-hmm. more corporate. Like, yep. look at what started happening around the early 90s into the mid-90s. Rappers was rocking Polo. They were rocking Tommy Hilfiger, Nautica, Versace, Armani, Kooji, you know, all things that we didn't necessarily rock, especially those of us who were in the hip-hop culture. But when that happened, you saw the tide start to happen as far as pop culture was concerned. That's how we started dressing eventually. A lot of us did. So mm-hmm. it all it all had implications. 
Um, my one of my notable quotables that I had comes from "It's So Easy," oh. and of course, this is from Doves, and it's about the second part of the second verse. He said, "You know, see them Cubans don't care what y'all niggas do. Colombians ain't never ran with your crew. Why you acting all spicy and shysty? The only Italians you knew was Icy's niggas. Price me. I'm keeping it clean like a washing machine, and go get your locomotion run into full steam. I'm sending out greeting to my man Dasim. I got a child, so I got to get the green. And I mean, yeah. I." <laughs> We talked about them attacking the mafioso rap. It's the same mm-hmm. exact thing. Cubans don't care what y'all niggas do. Colombians ain't never ran with your crew. And mm-hmm. why are you acting all spicy and shysty? The only Italians you ever knew was Icy's. Niggas price me. <laughs> I mean, this is a direct shot across the bow to so many people that mm-hmm. were, you know, talking about Gambino and Gotti and you know, that they was hooking up with Cubans and getting Colombians to get the Coke and whatever, and they going to push it on the streets and everything, and they like, man, shut that up, man. Y'all don't, right. the motherfuckers ain't <laughs> caring about what the fuck y'all doing, man. Like, why do you, and why do you care about the Italians? This was another big thing in hip-hop, is that the glorification when mafioso rap sort of made its way into the mid-90s, and how we sort of forget is that, man, things were very dicey, especially in places like New York between like Italian Americans and African Americans, in particular those who were in the mob, how they viewed African Americans. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something that, you know, would resurface a little bit later on. But um that whole track to me, I mean, to me was great. I love Dove being on there. I think that he got a chance to really shine there. If I did have another notable quotable, um, it would definitely be it would definitely be pause. And this whole thing is what he was saying. He's like, man, life can't get all up in your ass, baby. You better work it out. Let me tell you what it's all about. A skin not considered equal. A meteor has more right, right than my people. people. Who mm. be wasting time screaming who they hated? That's why the native tongues have officially been reinstated. A meteor has more right than my people. Mm. I mean, uh, this is why this is one of my favorite Daylight tracks, man. This message over that sound, over that instrumental it's really what kind of helped to bring that message full circle. You know, uh, yo, it's about love for cars, love for funds, loving to love mad sack, loving to love guns, love for opposite, love for fame and wealth, love for the fact that no longer loving yourself, kid. We living in them days of the man-made ways where every aspect is vivid. These niggas no longer talk shit, yo. These niggas live it. <laughs> so, mm. Mm, 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 mm. you know, oh, yes, it's whew, man. <laughs> that's all you can say you Woo. know it, it's um i would love to say that i think that music is being made this heavy still and i think some of it is but not nearly enough is it being made this day you know it's no. not it isn't and no, it, it shifted and you know hip-hop heads like me and you and, and the rest of the crew and many of the people that listen to this podcast we know you know we know it's not like how it used to be but when we hear stuff like that it, it takes us back yeah it does it does. It definitely takes us back. And as we move from notable quotables into this sort of next top discussion topic, I've read a lot of different articles, especially around the time when an album's anniversary is coming up. I put a lot of these links inside of my show notes and I use a lot of them for research because I like to see a lot of perspectives of people, especially in the time when you sort of get into the time where I like to say when albums start to age. And you said, Kyle, that you think this album is aged incredibly well. I'm seeing a lot of the same sentiment from people about how well the album has aged. And 
uh, depending on if you're talking to people who are quote unquote De La fans or ones who are not, the opinion on this may vary a little bit, but I think everybody sort of understands that it's important. Um, as a matter of fact, I think somebody said that, you know, um, in one article that I was reading, they said, you know, uh, De La might not have put out an album in Stasis High that many of their fans will think is their best, but there are many that can actually, depending on if you're a certain age, can argue that this album is as important as any album that they've put out in regards to the subject matter that they were talking about because it was really prophetic in some sense, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was really prophetic in some sense. So uh, in, in reading a lot of the articles and seeing some of the feedback that I've seen on Twitter and you know, the mom feel that Twitter can be sometimes, especially when it comes to talking <laughs> to hip hop, man. And um, I got into it to, with some guy about it was written and the, you know, how it was perceived back then versus now. And um, I really feel when it comes to this album, I feel that even so, I think even the perception of this has changed as time has gone on. I would say that some people, when this came out, don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily think that they would put it in the category where they would consider it either to be great or elite. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people thought that it was really good. And I think at that time, it suffered from the fact that a lot of people thought that Daylight were hating. You know, we talked about that last week in my podcast, how the <laughs> yes, term hater and then eventually, you know, I, I blame Diddy for this. Hey, it's easy to blame Diddy. He's an easy target that, you know, for coming up with the player hater sort of, you know, that mm-hmm. uh that that term. And then we cut, took that term and rolled it out all the way through the new millennium and kept it going all the way through the aughts into the 2010s. And we're still mm-hmm. using it today. So I think they did suffer from a little bit of that as well, that people sort of thought that they were hating. Do you think that was some of the sentiment back then that people might have not have rated this as highly because they sort of thought that Daylight was sort of their angry man, angry old man yelling at the clouds or telling the kids to get off their lawn? Oh, definitely. I can totally agree with that because I remember having that discussion with some people with hip hop heads in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they really felt, man, why, why are they hating? Why are they hating? Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't about that. I, again, I think it goes back to De La saw something in what we, what was happening with us, uh, with rap, with hip hop, with the culture. Mm-hmm. And I think they were really, really afraid for what, what, the other side was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And no, at that particular time, you couldn't touch Biggie. You couldn't touch Puff. You couldn't touch bad boy. You couldn't touch death row. And so they weren't, they weren't a commercial group that, you know, sold millions and millions of records. We know about their history with Tommy boy, but so where from the perch in which they stood, I, I can't even, I, I was about to say, I can understand why, why people took it as hate. I can't under, I still can't fathom why it came off as hate. They were just trying to protect what we had mm-hmm. and the authenticity of hip hop and the, uh, some of the values that we had in hip hop, they were trying to protect that. Yeah. And I think they got, you know, shunned for it to some degree, but that still does not take away from the fact that this is an incredible album. Yeah. It is what it is. I mean, like you said, they were there. There was some 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 sneak disses on here, but they never mentioned anybody by name. Yeah, exactly. They never called anybody out. If you you know if you got hit by the rock that was thrown, you knew who threw it. Yeah. They sold through the rock, and mm-hmm. you probably deserved to be hit. Exactly. But I think they were just they were really trying to protect what it was that we had. And you know, like I said, I was I was older than you, but I I do remember you know heads like myself. We you know there was there was some serious concern, I, and I I don't know that we've really examined that part of hip hop history. Maybe it's something we'll talk about on a podcast or something, but that necessarily was, it was a great time, but it was also 
probably for hip hop a huge time of uncertainty because yeah. especially with the East Coast, West Coast thing bubbling, we didn't, I mean, uh, granted, Tupac would get shot, you know, a couple of months later after his album dropped and killed and Biggie the, the following March. And then that really sent hip hop into a tailspin. But De La, you know, they saw a lot of this stuff kind of happening. And yeah. then what they were trying to say was, we don't want to go to that. Let's let's get back to rapping. Let's get back to just, you know, like you mentioned the It's So Easy video. And that made me think, like, De La's videos were fun. Yeah, they were you know, really they, fun. Really fun. Really fun. I mean, fun. like, and yeah. they were having a good time. You you never saw, like, scantily clad. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm all for the twerking and all that mm, stuff like, but right. it, I mean, that's not De La's, you know, that's not their steeds. That's not how they get down, but you know, everything has its place. And I think De La in, in the lane that they ran, I think they ran a good race. And I mean, again, I think this is an incredible album, but to answer your question, uh, it, it wasn't hate, I, but I do know that people, hip hop fans, particularly those fans who weren't, Hardcore De La Soul fans did look at this like, oh man, them dudes just hating. It's just they on some get off my lawn type shit. Yeah, exactly. And I think the it's sort of like Independence Day, you know. And uh, the guy was sort of telling them like, look, this is what this means. I need we need to get out in front of this, and we have to get out of here right now. And nobody's <laughs> listening to him, right? But what happens? Mm-hmm. The aliens blow up half of America, blow up the yep. White House. You know, and then eventually people were like, oh, you know what? That guy was right. And 25 years afterwards, we listened to this album. And those of us who were either outside or even at the window looking outside mm-hmm. could sort of be and be like, yep, you know what? They were right. Yep. And they were right after all, because hindsight is definitely 2020. The, the nugget that I wanted to drop on this is this album and its concept of the message and what they were trying to portray is something that flew over a lot of people's heads and a lot of people sort of, I guess, overlooked it. To me, I think the concept of this album was the concept of this album and the message of what it was trying to portray was beautifully executed. Not even 20 years later on Kendrick Lamar's The Pimp a Butterfly, mm-hmm. because the message is almost exactly the same. Yep. The messaging is a little bit different as far as the execution, the methodology. Um, the music was definitely different. But the music was exactly the same. And to take it even further, Kendrick wasn't just talking about music. He was talking about so many different other things other than just music and the Pippa Butterfly. So yes. if I were to draw the parallels between those two, between Stakes is High and the Pippa Butterfly, I think that's really the concept and what both were trying to accomplish was definitely executed. The execution was so much more better where Kendrick Lamar is the Pippa Butterfly, but both of them had the same exact message, in my opinion. So... Mm-hmm. So now we get here to the end, to the test, the true test, the test of time to see what it is. Kyle, do we think it's a certified classic, borderline classic, a classic just in its time, or not a classic just at all? And, of course, we rate these on how strongly we feel about it, 7 to 10. 7, you don't feel as strongly, and 10, you feel very strongly. So, 12, Kyle, what say you about Stakes is High and De La Soul? Oh, man, this is, you know, it's funny when when we uh... – when you reminded me that we were going to do this and I, this is the first question that came up before I even saw the outline or anything. That's the first thing I thought about. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause I listen to you guys and you know, I listen to you guys every week okay, appreciate um, it. and I'm always interested. I mean, I listen to the podcast all the way through, but I'm always interested in this particular part of the podcast because I try to figure out whether which one of the guys, or if you, you know, 
who will, you know, say the same thing as far as rated same way I would. Um, this one, because I am a stickler for the word classic, uh, I don't think it's a certified classic. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's a borderline classic. I think okay. if we were giving it mics, you know, like the, the the mic system in the source, I think it's a four and a half mic album. Yeah. Um, which I think is pretty damn incredible if you had a five and a five and a four and then you come back with a four and a half. Yeah. Which is how I rank those, you know, their first three albums. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I can't call it a classic, but I will say it is a borderline classic a phenomenal album that, you know, like I said earlier, holds up a mirror to hip hop and says, Hey, this is where we are. And this is where we can go if we don't tighten shit up. Mm-hmm. And we really didn't tighten shit up and we went the other way. Yeah. And, you know, De La Soul again, as you guys have said before, you know, ahead of their time, yeah. you know, a, a, another album that is ahead of their time. And, you know, when you look back on it and you think about you, like we talked a little bit about earlier, they did this without Prince Paul. I mean, that to me, that says a lot. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, he's a member of the group, really. Yeah, you know? exactly. So he, he he's plug four. <laughs> so right. you take away. He's a plug four, exactly. You take away plug four and you still have a phenomenal album. So, yeah. Uh, long way to answer the question. Nah, but that's I'm perfect. It's a borderline classic. That's perfect, though. And that's perfect in the explanation. And I actually agree with you. I would have okay. to say that it's a borderline classic as well. I am a 10 out of 10 on that answer that it's a borderline classic. Yeah, I'm a 10 out of 10. Too, because, sorry. because I feel as though it's right up there. Um, mm-hmm. Taking the time and what it came out and also looking at their previous catalog and what they put out previously, uh, I, I would have to say this is a borderline classic. But I think for the time, it's appropriate. And I think also in the way that it's aged and also the way that the perception has improved as well. I talked about a lot about this in Reasonable Doubt and also it was written. Both of them took massive jumps when they first came out to the way that they're being perceived now 25 years later. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same way here with De La Soul. When you take away a piece like Prince Paul away from the group and you have the group handling the majority of the production themselves, being able to stick in pieces here and there, there wasn't a bunch of features loaded on this. You know, you got some of these albums, especially in this time during the 90s, where some people overdid it with some of the features, man. They didn't overdo it with here. All they they had the, all the features were well placed. They all fit and they all were perfect for what they needed. And the message to me to hear, I mean, we talk about the messaging here. The message here is definitely certified classic material. Um, mm-hmm. It's something, as you mentioned. They were prophetic ahead of their time and let us know like, hey, you know, Avalanche is on the horizon. If we don't get the hell out of the way and figure out what we're doing, we're going to get buried under the Avalanche. And eventually the Avalanche came and you can never dig out from that Avalanche when you get underneath of it. And I think that hip hop has suffered ever since then. And appropriately, what happened weeks later and months later when Tupac was shot and killed months later after that, when Biggie was killed to me is when the avalanche really started rolling downhill. And then the entire village on the side of the mountain got crushed. And you know, that's a, a grim way of looking at it, but I think that their messaging was appropriate uh, in terms of their catalog. I would put this to me a solid three behind Three Feet High Rising and De La Soul is Dead. For mm-hmm. me personally, I put De La I Soul is Dead on the top 
of my catalog for them by over top of three feet high and rising. A lot of people don't agree with me, but no, I, I agree with you. you know, it, 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 yeah. it's better. Yeah, it's, it's, better. it's a better album. But this to me, I think is a solid third. And I think it's right there. And I think impact wise, the significance of what the messaging was and what they were trying to accomplish hits all of us so much harder for those of us who were there at that time and figured out what was going on. So there we are, y'all. Kyle, both him, both and I say that it's a it's a borderline classic. Both of us, 10 out of 10. They lost soul stakes is high. 25 years later, go out there and do yourselves a favor um, and read some of the articles out there that has tons of great articles out there about this album. I love seeing these anniversary pieces on these albums, especially the ones that were particularly significant. Go out there Mm -hmm. and check them out, man. Search on Google. Do some research, man. I think a lot of the stories and things that you'll read, the perspectives are definitely interesting. So um, I would say go out and check out Daylight on anywhere you can get music, but that is not true. (laughs) However, we did get news a couple of weeks ago that the catalog from Tommy Boy has been now acquired, and the plan is to put their music finally after all these years back on streaming sources. So those of us who are all Daylight fans definitely welcome that day when it comes. But until then, maybe you got to find somebody who got the tape where you can listen to it on YouTube and and put pieces together a little by little. But until then, that's the best that we got, man. But definitely, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out, man. It's a dope, dope album, an incredible album, and a gem definitely for the year 96. So, Kyle, man, again, appreciate you coming here on here with me. It's your first time here on The Vault. We're going to have you back again soon, actually, this year for another album coming out. So, um, yeah. as we always like to do, we like to you know, you know, thank our guests for coming on. And we want to give you a chance to shout out your platform and your podcast and also let the folks know, you know when you drop you know, what kind of things you cover. And then, of course, if you're on social media, drop your social media plugs. Oh, no doubt, man. Again, thanks for having me on, man. No doubt. Uh, this has been fun. Anytime we can get on and talk hip-hop, you know, that's, that's right up my wheelhouse. Uh, my podcast, again, is the 12 Kyle Podcast. Uh, a new episode drops every Thursday at midnight. So uh, no matter what, make sure that you subscribe. It's on all platforms. Um, as far as topics, obviously I talk, <laughs> I talk a good bit of hip hop, talk about, you know, music just in general, R&B music as well. Um, I, like you mentioned at the beginning, I do talk a lot about, you know, there'll be talk, topics about, you know, what my life was like growing up and before the Internet. So I've got uh, <laughs> quite a few stories to tell, experiences, uh, talk about dating, relationships, sex. A little bit of everything. The thing I like to say about the podcast is that if you listen to one episode, I promise you, you'll listen to another. There you go. And another. And another. And another. Um, And you can catch me on uh, social media, 12 Kyle across the board, 1-2-K-Y-L-E. Again, man, thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to having you back on my podcast as well. Indeed. And uh, shout out to the listeners, man. This is, uh, I, I enjoy the conversation. So hit me up on social media if you agree or disagree with anything that I said on here. I, I'm open to it. I'll tell you you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one last thing, another thing, in addition to all the things that twelve that Kyle does for 12 Kyle Podcasts as well, is make sure y'all go check out his, his series that he has with Eclectic on Encyclopedia Hip Hop, they do drafts. And their drafts are not just music-based. It's not just hip-hop and R&B-based. They have other drafts as well. They've done one about the class of 96, NBA 90s point guards. It's a really, really fun series, and I love the banter that you and Clet got going, Kyle. I've told you that before. So make sure y'all go check that out on Twitter, um, the Encyclopedia Hip Hop Podcast, and Clet is on there. Clet definitely 
has some interesting perspectives. Him and Kyle have a great banter. So definitely check out those drafts, man, on Twitter, uh, Chance, man. So, Kyle, once again, thank you, bro. We'll have you back on here again, and we can't wait to see ourselves on the 12 Kyle podcast coming up soon. No doubt, no doubt. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us out on our host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault Classic Music Reviews on any one of our streaming sources. If you go to the link in any one of our social media pages in our bio, you'll find the link tree. There you can find all of our social media pages and also all of our streaming sources. Again, you can follow The Vault on Instagram on at VaultCMRPodcast, on Twitter at VaultClassic, and on Facebook and YouTube by searching The Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube Subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media, let us know what you're thinking about the show, we do it here all for you. We appreciate the support, and if you have a friend, tell a friend, and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud, and as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big, because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate, because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.